Hey, you heard him. Well, I'm too busy admiring the machine. It's good to see you. Right then. Let's get you in that sidecar. Oh, yes. Yeah, he came on this bike especially. Oh, happy Valentine's. Oh, this is seriously cool. I mean, I'm not knocking an outing at the calf, but come on. <laughs> oh, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm just a, a spectator. Boring. That would be the reverend boring, if you don't mind. Get that helmet on now. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello and welcome to episode 293 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catch-Up podcast that can't remember the last time I switched on the TV this week and Corey wasn't on, I'm Gavin. And I am most definitely in the United States of America. For some reason, BritBox seemed to think that I was not in the United States earlier when I was trying to watch Corey. And it made us very late. Taking you four hours to watch three episodes somehow. I know, it's ridiculous. And my iPad would not take a charge. It was like on the charger for like 20 minutes upstairs. And it would not work. And so I had to come down and use the charger down here. And then it took another 15, 20 minutes for it to finally charge. It's been hell. Hell, I tell you. A very specific circle of hell. Yes. That's related to Coronation Street. And first world problems. I'm not even sure if it's first world problems, Helen. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I don't think it even qualifies for that. It just makes me wonder who's been using my laptop or my iPad outside of the United States. Who's been sneaking into my room and flying to Denmark? Do they have the VPN on? No, I don't have the VPN on my iPad. Only on my only on the laptop. Oh. So. Well, I guess it's a mystery <laughs> that William Shatner will no doubt be investigating <laughs> in season on. six or whatever. Of the unexplained. Unexplained. Have you been otherwise? Eh, all right. You know, chug along, working hard, hardly working. How about you? How's it going? Yeah. What's new? Well, it was Valentine's Day this week. It was. Did you have a nice Valentine's Day? I did. I tried to pace myself a little bit at dinner and ended up accidentally getting stuffed. Right, because you ordered the beef wellington. How can you not order beef wellington? I didn't order it's beef wellington. It's the most wellington of all beefs. It is. <laughs> it contains so many things that I love. Yes. Beef, bit of pastry, some kind of patty thing, and some mashed potatoes. Um, I'm actually fairly ambivalent towards mashed potatoes, but... Are you? Yeah. Are I, you? Because you make them a lot. You do love potatoes in all forms. I prefer roast potatoes. You are a hobbit. I don't make mash all that often. Only make mash when I'm making shepherd's pie. Right, or it's Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of times a year then. But so you do so make... we've gone from always making mashed potatoes to a couple of times a year. You make a lot of potatoes otherwise, though. I make... Many, many different forms of potatoes. I make roast potatoes on a Sunday when we're having a roast. Right. And sometimes you make fries. In your deep, deep frequently in your deep fat fryer. That, I don't trust the deep fat fryer because that I, you got because I remember public service warnings 
from the 1970s which suggested that chip pan fires happened all the time and were like the worst thing that could happen. And yet you bought never, one. Never throw water on that. And yet you bought one anyway. Yeah. Even though we had an air fryer, which is so much healthier. But you can't fit anything in it. That's tiny. First world problems. <laughs> yeah, we had a nice uh, Valentine's Day meal at our local fancy restaurant. Called the English Inn. That we only ever go to on anniversary slash, I don't think we've ever been for a birthday. No. Or a Mother's Day. Well, we during lockdown, that's where we got our Mother's Day meal, which was fish and chips. <laughs> Speaking of potatoes. Pretty sure it was fish and chips, wasn't it? Because that's no, what they were serving. Fan, no, it was fancier than that, I think. Was it? Mm. I just remember they would do fish and chips for takeaway during lockdown, like all the time. That was like their big their big deal. Yep. So, which is nice. It's very nice. If you're in the mid-Michigan area. Yes, we highly recommend. The English Inn. The English Inn. On M99. <laughs> a couple of miles north of Eaton Rapids is... It's very pleasant. Or Lansing Road, as... The GPS likes to call it. I know. It's weird, isn't it? <laughs> GPS. Anyway, we have 50 episodes to we get really through tonight. We really do. Shall we preamble, Madea? Yes, please. Give us some of that. Oh, that's an awful lot of Cory. Cory News. It was the Beef Wellington of Cory's this week. With less pastry, but yes. <laughs> and more mash. A bit of mash. Quite a bit. Not sure what that means. <laughs> Let's plow on. <laughs> Mashing and plowing. Sam Roberts, speaking of which, <laughs> you didn't even know. We'll get through this if it kills us. So Come perfect. On. Sam Robertson apparently, in his early days on the show, got lots of tail whilst out clubbing. The only problem is young women would shout Adam in bed instead of Sam. Hard to compete against yourself, isn't it, Mr. Robertson? This is according to whom? According to him! Why would you admit this in an interview, that you used to have sex with lots of women because you were on a soap opera? Also because he's a very handsome man. And then they'd call you your character's name in bed. And then he also said, well, it was great because it was a good excuse to not buy them dinner. And I'm like, wait a second, don't you buy them dinner before sex? Doesn't the dinner come first? No, if it's Beef Wellington. <laughs> Who's having sex and then getting dressed and taking a shower at a stranger's house and putting your makeup back on and then going to dinner? Really? You're going to ask that question? Yes. I'm going to ask that question. The public wants Despite. to know. What? <laughs> No idea what you're implied with your eyes, you're, you're Mr. Not, Broom. You're not. That's fine. <laughs> we can talk off here. Ah, uh, Imogen Borman, who once upon a time played Better Buy employee Vanessa Morgan on the show, has been placed on the sex offenders list after the 52-year-old mother of three did a striptease on the bar of a local gastropub and sexually assaulted another customer. What? Yes. She was a little drunk. Yeah, it's no, it's no excuse. No. No. I've gotten drunk lots of times and kept my clothes on in a gastropub. So you're, 
you're relating that item of Corey News back to your own personal experiences, and yet, for the first item... Anyway. <laughs> and finally, Luca Tulin, who has the unfortunate job of playing Mason on the show, has apologized for the bullying done to poor Liam, a.k.a. Charlie Renshaw, <laughs> oh and the destruction of the marionette this week. So... At least, at least the person playing Mason is a good kid. This was always going to happen because yeah. he is playing it pretty well. Yeah. That we we all hate him, right? As we're meant to, right? But this means that everyone that's watching Corey hates him, right? Yeah. And not everyone is able to, as going back once more to the first item in Corey News, not right. everyone is able to separate fictional Coronation right. Street yes. from real life. So the fact that. He's had to apologise for the bullying. Seems unnecessary. Right, yeah. But I, if Wonka 2 ever comes calling, Luca, I don't recommend you take that job. Or just work ask, on your dance moves. Just ask Ian Bartholomew. And that's Corey News. Ah. A whistle stop tour of, of Corey News, which... Leads us very seamlessly. Would you believe it? Seamlessly into the section I like to call Everyone's a Critic. Our mailbag is fit to burst. Really? Yeah. <laughs> is that a good thing? <laughs> well, on, on normal weeks, it would be a wonderful thing. Right. On a week when we have five hours of Corey to talk about. Okay. Sure. But still, we need to. And We need to talk about all of it. And as, as I'm reading this, there is more feedback coming in that's just going to have to wait till next week. Okay. So let's kick it off with Wendy, who wrote in to say, I think we should start a running list of storylines and details the writers think we've forgotten about. I'll start. <laughs> Number one, Damon is a child abuser. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he is. He threatened to kill his own son. Number two, PC Tinker has OCD. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> yep. Number three, Stu had a deadly cough. Yes, that cough did. never really amounted to anything. No, that was, it and that definitely was a cough that was supposed to amount to, to something. Them, yeah, yeah. Anything else that they've forgotten? God, I've what got a couple. I've got what, a couple. What haven't they forgotten? So they definitely forgot that Roy gave everything to Nina and then has never taken it back. Right. Yeah. Hence Nina's role. And he sold the Woody, and yet somehow he's got it back. And it's kind of forgotten that Toy is a murderer. I think. Yeah, I was kind of taken aback. The other day, because I was watching the credits, and you know, it it still says Toya, Toya Habib. Habib. I thought that this week as and well. And I for was some like, reason. "Oh, well, yeah, I guess, I guess she wouldn't change her name back because then people would remember that she murdered Imran." <laughs> but seeing Habib also makes it's, you remember. It's very that, jarring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you can think of anything else that the writers think that we've forgotten about, writing to tell us about it. The talk of the street at gmail.com. Yes. And at Corey Podcast and all the socials. And Debbie wrote in saying that I loved the NyQuil banter. Very funny. <laughs> and I think it says volumes that I can only just remember the NyQuil banter. <laughs> then maybe you saw this one. This is from our friend John who wrote in uh, with some YouTube clips of people referring to an incident where Ken heckled Bob Dylan. Yes. <laughs> There's two clips. From many episodes apart where right. people are reminiscing about Ken and, and or Bob Dylan and somebody remembers, oh, by the way, 
Ken heckled Bob Dylan one time. And I don't think we've been given any more information other than that, but right. it's hilarious that there's just this little incident from the dim and distant past that and, not everyone's forgotten And about. you know what that reminded me of? That reminded me of the fact that Bob Dylan loves the show and wants to be written into it, supposedly. Right. Bob Dylan and Snoop Dogg. Neither one of them have yet appeared on the show, and I demand some Dylan and some Snoop Dogg. Toot sweet. You get Snoop Dogg on, wouldn't you? You get Snoop Dogg. And the bistro. Yeah. Smoking a blunt. <laughs> With Rita. I think he's given it up, hasn't he? No, that was for a stupid commercial oh, was about it? something else that's not weed. Okay, good. The universe has been restored then. Yes. French Ellen writes, Regarding the ambiguity of my email last week, mental note to never write to a podcast after a shot or two of NyQuil. Again with the NyQuil. Please interpret my last message in whatever way is the most positive. Which I think was kind of what I Which is what we, we did, did anyway. anyway yeah. thank yes. you. But thank you for clearing yes. up, French Ellen. Merci. Trisha writes, It looks like the character of Lorne is now firmly enmeshed on the street and even about to enter into a romantic relationship with Bobby. Bobby! Phone! <laughs> I really want to like current Lorne, but I keep waiting for a scene with her and a brown person. Will she ever have a scene with Alia? Can Darian come back for an apology? Can she be friends with Asha? I need to see that before I can truly like her. As a brown person, the scene back in her racist days in Speed Dial when she turned Max against Darren by claiming that he was coming on to her was triggering because it really does happen and has disastrous consequences. The trope of white women making false allegations of sexual misconduct against brown and black people is so real it needs to be resolved if I'm to root for Lauren. I think that's very well written. And Absolutely. I agree with it 100%. We've said... There is Sabrina and Gav... But remember when we thought Gav and Lauren were going to hook up and now he's been supplanted by Bobby? Well, Gav was trying and once he got over the initial hurdle of, but isn't she a horrible racist? Right. But that question was never really answered. No. And then the next scene, because Gav's such a nice person, right? he's given her a bit of chat. Right. Yeah. And then... Simon is the only person who speaks up and says, hey, wait a second, guys. Isn't she a horrible racist? Or no, isn't Max a horrible racist? And then people were mean to Simon about it. And it's like, but he does have a point. He's very bad at expressing himself, but he does have a point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've said a number of times that we're still waiting for the Lauren redemption arc because while we're talking about things that the show kind of wishes that we've forgotten yeah kind of think that they've started wishing that we've forgotten about that or they think that it's not important anymore the well, people that she wronged have never had an apology no no she does admit to bobby that she's been a horrible person to a lot of people doesn't say how though but doesn't say how and bobby isn't the person that she should be admitting these things to no when sabrina and gav are right there no and i think max had a better a better attempt at that. He has had interactions with Alia since, but yeah. not many. No. Well, Alia has told him not to come near her. Mm-hmm. And there is like a legal thing there where he's not allowed to be near her. Yeah, but... I don't know. I'd forgotten all about that bit with Darian. And yeah. as soon as I remembered it, it, remembered, it reminded me why I, I hated her so much. Right, yeah. And the show is... Kind of trying to redeem her without having that redemption yeah. moment, and it's right. it's annoying. 
Not the first time the show has tried to do this, though. No. I mean, we have mentioned, we just mentioned the fact that Damon abused his own son. <laughs> yes. I don't know why I laughed at that. <laughs> Renchike wrote the bullying storyline with Liam. Hits home very hard for me. I was bullied very often in sixth and seventh grade, as well as freshman year of high school. Some examples may include being run into lockers while I'm driving my electrical chair to the next class or being threatened that people would push me down the stairs. I had to change middle schools. Middle schools are just awful, aren't they? They are the worst. Are they worst? I think, I think I've mentioned the fact that in fifth grade, a girl named Dorothy Armstrong tried to break my arm. If social media had existed back when I was that age, I would do anything to hide those messages. Unfortunately, this storyline is a very accurate portrayal of what can happen when children's antics and abuse goes unchecked. And then they say, I never felt like I was going to a point where I actually liked Bobby, but giving him Lauren as a love interest is literally a stroke of genius because they both have various forms of trauma that they're working through. The only difference is Bobby uses humour to deflect that, that trauma versus Lauren's annoying sound running away. They are, ironically, cute together despite their many challenges. If they keep giving Lauren and Bobby separately and together good storylines, then they could be a couple for the future for the long term. Yeah. I, I must admit, despite what I've just said about Lauren, I do find mm. the two of them kind of work together they somehow. They do, because they both have horrible fathers in prison. <laughs> that does help. It does help. And it, and that part, especially when when they talk about it this week, which we will talk about in a little bit, I was like, oh yeah, this is kind of a stroke of genius to put these two characters together. This might actually work. Mm-hmm. You know, especially since they've toned Bobby down significantly from his first week yes. where it was terrible yeah yeah it, it, it's definitely better yeah he does have a few moments i think he's allowed a few moments yeah i don't think he's allowed 100 percent. no doing the whole comedy vehicle type yeah type routine yeah i don't miss that and then we got uh our first ever Australian review <gasps> on the iTunes G'day, from Infuriated Bird. who <laughs> gave us a five-star review, <gasps> headed up entertaining, with the comment, eh, it passes the time. <laughs> and there's a cheeky wee smiley face t- right, to yes. make us think that maybe, maybe they're teasing. Right, yes. Because they're, hey, they're Australian. If it passes the time, I think that's achieving like 80% of what we're setting out to do. So. Correct. The good stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you. Infuriated Bird. And thank you also to Chiki, to Trisha, French Helen, John, Debbie, and Wendy for all taking the time to write in this week. It's very much appreciated. Feedback is always welcome. Send us your thoughts, and I will probably read them out. Get us at the talk of the street at gmail.com or our DMs are open at Corey Podcast. And now we'll podcast for coffee. <laughs> We're drinking our own coffees this week. Ah, boo. <laughs> the Talk of the Street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think a show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee. Please. By going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the Talk of the Street. You can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through Ba-ba. the same link. Where for as little as two bucks a month, you can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. And remember, you can always support the podcast for free. Get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating, and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. We really do like those five-star reviews, folks. We do. If you haven't written one yet, 
please consider doing so this week. And now, this. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about two muffins. I thought we agreed you weren't going to call them that anymore. That's right. This was Alia deciding that she'd have two birthday muffins this year. I was Gavin and you officially got rid of my grand's King George Coronation glass. Despite You're it, welcome. Despite it being George the Sixth, you took a moral victory from your initial guess of George the Third. Oh well, it's at least it's a multiple of three. You right. Said. Yes, I'm. I'm not my child who can rattle off all of the kings and queens of England in order. Just England. Well, sometimes just England and sometimes other places too. This was the first episode where auction talk was mentioned. Still no theme though. You were selling batches of rayon Hawaiian shirts, which I'm pretty sure give people cancer. Another relationship consigned to the bin. It's time for Sean to mope while pretending that he's not moping. Zidane returns from that London for Alger's 30th birthday, but someone else has followed him back. A random act of kindness by Amy backfire when Brian takes up residence in the young crew flat. Peter is under pressure to make his final trades and his attempts to convert an onion badge to an actual motorbike. Which lead to disastrous consequences for Paul. Yeah, it's weird that all that happened at the same time. Yeah. Because also in that week, for reasons never fully investigated other than the vague mention of a dream, Billy decides to to be keen to rekindle his relationship with Paul. Yeah. So Paul's kind of motor neuron disease story and Paul's going back out with Billy's storyline kind of happened at the same time. It's funny how that happens. It's sense in time for Max and David is shocked to discover he's the only member of the family still interested in the wee Torag. <laughs> Stephen goes to Rufus's hotel room to resurrect the knicker deal and leaves with a lifetime supply of hallucinogenic drugs. Mary suits a sombrero, Mariam has low standards, and Carla sees Ken Barlow's. Our moment of the week was Abby telling Carla Peter was seducing her, and our boring moment of the week was Billy declaring his love for Paul over the noise of power tools, and that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Alright, so, because we have five hours to talk about, if we went through my usual notes, it would take us about three hours to do that. Uh-huh. So... I've written condensed notes. Okay. So this should hopefully see us fly through it. So I might not go into the the rich colour detail of what happened in Corey this week, but hopefully we'll get the gist. Right. And I will probably stop you multiple times and say, well, wait a second. You forgot to mention that this thing happened. Yeah. The, the very thing that I'm trying to avoid happening. Yeah. This will encourage that. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Our first storyline tonight is the Simon doesn't fall far from the Peter. So this goes back to Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Simon wakes up drunk again on Carla's couch. Where the fuck is Carla, by the way? Instantly he gets wired into straight Voddy because he's that sort of drinker now. At the bistro, Nick wants to chat about doing something romantic with Leanne for Valentine's Day, but it's her busiest day of the year, so nice try, she says. Nick bursts into tears. Yes. He rushes home after speaking with Toya and nags at Simon to take Sam to his chess competition until he eventually... Agrees so as not to be chucked out of the house. Right, yes. Instead of 
you know, reading between the lines of, I'm sorry, I just, I can't. I can't. Well, why not? I just, I just can't. I'm, t- I'm really tired. Right. That's no excuse. How could you be tired? You haven't worked. Blah, 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 look blah, em. blah, blah. Just look at them. Seriously, the dark circles under that kid's eyes, I thought I was looking at a raccoon. On the way, though, Sam's being a bit of an asshole in the back seat. And Seriously. Dis- and distracts a still-pished Simon who suffers the worst car crash in television history and the bumper falls off Leanne's car. Yes, yes. Sam, uncharacteristically of a very intelligent young boy, sticks his card from Roy right in front of Simon's face. Mm-hmm. So, like and you said at the time, even if Simon was sober at yeah, this point... It would have caused an accident. Right. It's so uncharacteristic of Sam to be like this. Sam is a smart cookie. He should know better. Yeah. You don't distract a driver. You don't stick something in front of their eyes. It was like he was asking him to open it for him. And it's like he's driving the car, Sam. Yep. You're supposed to be the smart one. Sam was kind of hilarious, though, sitting in the back seat with his hood up still. Yeah, because Simon had the windows rolled <laughs> down. Because it was cold. Right, because Simon Basically had the windows up. rolled down. Such a wee funny. Right, yeah. It's funny. He's going to sit up and he's complaining that he can't feel his fingers, so he can't open his card. And he sits in the middle. Such a wee fanny. God bless him. <laughs> anyway, the two of them are okay and they like it. Sam is worried that this was his fault. It was. It was your fault. <laughs> well, that and all the booze. Right. Meanwhile, at the base row, Nick has bought an engagement ring for Leanne and he fingers it gingerly. Then back at the flat, Simon tells Leanne about the accident, so Simon has to come clean, sort of. He doesn't mention he was pissed, but she suspects that was the cause of it and he finally admits it, blaming Bobby and Nick. Leanne tells him to suck her balls and Kev and sends Kev to pick up the car, who brings it back, but then runs into Nick on the street who has no fucking idea that the car's been in an accident and Kev pretends that he's forgotten how to speak English and drives off. Simon <laughs> spies on this and then suddenly he's on to Transport Sorter. That's, the, I think, a new website for the show, looking for cheap tickets to that London. Leanne catches him about to do a runner and manages to make him stay while she lies to Nick about the accident, blaming the car's brakes. Where did he think he was going to stay in that London? He's like, he's going to do a runner to London where he knows nobody. He has no money. What, what, was, what was the plan there? At this point, I'm still, happen- I'm still thinking, what's happened to all these friends that... These, these yeah, much-lauded friends that have been mentioned. These invisible friends. These invisible mates. I mean, we get some kind of resolution for that coming up. But, right, but yeah. Still, we still don't know none, any... none of them are in London. No, and none of them see, apparently have names. It's like, it's like Nina's college pals who are all just one person on the other end of and the... And racist Kelly's ex. Yeah. That everyone is happy to call her ex and no one asks her what his name is. Right, yeah. What if they're all the same person? Well, there's an idea. <laughs> Yeah, he's Simon at this point is very much Nick is so on his back about everything that he didn't he didn't tell him about anything. Right. But also Simon's kind of developed very quickly into the sort of person who drinks vodka straight from the bottle within moments of waking up. That he finds under the couch that he doesn't know how long it's been there. Mm. It's just random bottle of vodka under the couch. Couch vodka. Couch Always vodka. the best. 
So Monday for the first time in ages, Simon is sober when he wakes up, just in time for a lecture from Leanne. He's grateful that she lied for him. Meanwhile, at Nina's Rolls, Roy is concerned when Sam makes an illegal chess move, but before we can investigate, Nick appears to drag Sam off to school. Later, Kev comes into the bistro to give Nick a quote for the car repair, and it's so high, Nick bursts out crying. The quote doesn't even mention the brakes, he says. Kev reveals that there was fuck all wrong with the brakes. And meanwhile, Hope finds Sam passed out on the floor at school, and eventually this leads to a call to the bistro, and Nick and Leanne rush off to the hospital. Hope, who now appears older than Summer. So at the hospital, Sam gets a brain scan and Leanne explains about the car crash to Nick. Privately, Nick tells Leanne that Kev said there was nothing wrong with the brakes, so Leanne has to tell the truth, but she still keeps quiet about the drunk driving stuff. Nick is furious that Sam could have been killed. Meanwhile, Simon has gone to the cop shop to hand himself in, and after various attempts at half-truths, he eventually admits that he was drunk driving. Back at the hospital, Sam gets it all clear and is allowed home, but Nick is still furious. He's he's Nick furious. And... Oh, come on. And the doctor. Oh, come on. Hold on. And the doctor is charming as fuck. I love that doctor. He needs to be on the show more. He needs to be the next, you know, tertiary character like Gadass and Swain. He was great with Sam. Add this doctor to every hospital scene. Because he says to Sam, well, no drinking in wild parties and Sam's just sitting there <laughs> lapping up the banter. Right. He loves the banter. Right, yeah, and... And, and and he's like, he's like turning it over to Roy for the things that you need to do mm-hmm. when you have a concussion. Roy's like, rest. Exactly. You there got you it. go. Although you're not supposed to sleep. Rich patter. Delightful. Although I guess my gastroenterologist is fun too. Super. Remember when, remember when, remember when he said that my, my cancer looked like a penis? No, but I remember the... Oh, no, I do remember that. And then he looked at me and raised his eyebrows. <laughs> like, Did you leave waka your waka. penis there? Waka waka. I remember the doctor who drew out your digestive tract on a whiteboard and drew the colon and pointed out the bit that he cut out. But to give me a frame of reference, he pointed at the middle bit and says, that's a butthole. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, <laughs> let's dumb this down, doctor. The butthole. The butthole. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Doctor Beavis. I think, well, in fairness to that doctor, I think he's seen my butthole more than you have. That can't possibly be true. <laughs> so, so Nick's Nick furious, and he's even more furious when he hears from Glenda about how fucked out of his tree on Bruce Simon has been recently. Yeah, thanks a lot, Glenda. Glenda, who is on the show quite a bit. Nick. In like every storyline. Nick confronts Leanne about it. Simon comes in and tells them that he's handed himself in and been charged with failure to report an accident and he's going to be up in court. Nick wants Simon to leave or he and Sam are leaving. Simon agrees and would rather leave while Leanne tries to hold her wee family together. Right, and is also pissed at her son for doing the right thing. Yeah. Which, hasn't this happened before that she's been pissed at somebody for going to the cops and doing the right thing? And wasn't that person Simon as well? (laughs) Right. In the whole drug storyline? When Simon leaves, Leanne asks, where does this leave you and me, Nick? And Nick can't reply. Because he's crying so hard. She leaves and he gingerly fingers her ring again. 
Meanwhile, Simon is sleeping in a doorway, which is probably the doorway of the flat. On Tuesday, Nick and Leanne are still icy to each other about Simon's ejection from the flat. Leanne refuses to acknowledge that Simon's drinking could have led to a bigger tragedy and thinks Nick thinks that Sam outranks Simon. I'm like, what are you talking about, Leanne? He was drink driving. Yeah. He has no excuse. Yeah, but... And the fact that he didn't kill Sam doesn't negate the fact that he could have. Right. But in fairness... Nick does prefer Sam. Well, we all prefer Sam. <gasps> oh, no, a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't prefer Sam. She finds Simon living rough now in the community garden, looking worse than homeless steward did. <coughs> he's Team Nick in all of this, and reckons that he's a loser and doesn't deserve Leanne's love. He explains how he got chucked out of his mate's place, doesn't say why. No. Probably drink. And how it's only the drink that makes him feel better. She takes him back to the flat, when she tells Nick about Simon living rough briefly and his excessive drinking, and now he's currently in their bath, Nick allows it, but insists that he stays off the drink while he's living there, which seems fair. On Wednesday, in the bistro, Simon confesses his drinking problem to Nick, Leanne and Toya and apologises for his behaviour. So that's him fixed now. Well, no, but that is the first step. The Nick- first step is admitting that you have a problem. Simon's gone from nothing to habitual drinker to heavy drinker to alcoholic to on the 12 steps right and like four days sometimes that happens hmm on N- television nick is still pissed and emotional and stable which concerns leanne when she speaks to toy about this and her worries Toya blabs that nick was planning on proposing yesterday but the opportunity never presented itself because sam had a concussion so leanne takes the bull by the horns and later in the bistro, she proposes to Nick, who takes a beat before he says yes. It's a leap year Valentine's Day miracle. But no sooner has the spunk dried into the curtain that Nick confesses to David that he nearly actually said no after all the Simon stuff and Leanne's stance on it. David says the only important thing is they love each other. And Nick looks unconvinced. They're engaged already. Are they? Yeah, they got engaged in 2018 when, they, when he came back. Shortly after he came back and he, he and Leanne got back together again. Did he propose though? He, pr- he proposed around about that time, I'm she, sure. she doesn't have a ring already. I'm sure that he proposed. I'm sure this is a re-proposal. They just never got married. Then why would they need to propose to one another again? Things that the show's forgotten. Hmm. Yeah. So on Friday, in Nina's roles, Sam wants to be Nick's best man, which is lovely. Imagine the speech. Right, yes. And, and, until until Roy tells him the unfortunate history of, of best manhood. It's the origin of, of best man, which is Scottish. Right. You're right, yes. Scottish people, Scottish men used to run into other villages and steal women. And, and drag women out. Yeah. Not much has changed. Hey, I dragged you out of Scotland. Yes, you did. Yes, I did. My friends still haven't forgiven you. That's true. David comes in and has a, another word with Nick and suggests speaking to Lan- Leanne about his concerns. And Nina's role separately, Toya talks Leanne into a big wedding, but at the bistro later, Nick seems uninvested. Gail gets roped into this, which makes Leanne think about reenacting their Scottish wedding from, <laughs> what, 2000 and something? Later, David comes in with news from Plat Chat. The wedding, he says, is going to be in Mykonos. But by the time he said that, they've already changed their mind to the south of France. Maybe this would give a chance for Leanne to meet with her mum. 
Nick just smiles patiently, and that's as far as we get with that storyline. Yes. When, when you think about characters who really love each other and just seem like a really loving couple, is Nick and Leanne at the top of your list? Are they even in your top five? They're not at the top of the list, but they've been together for so long now that I think I just think that they're married. Right, yeah. Yeah. And the worst thing that characters can do in that situation is draw attention to that fact that they're, that not, they're not married, yeah. By getting married. Right. Vis-a-vis Chesney and Gemma. Right. I feel like Steve and Tracy are more lovey-dovey than Nick and Leanne are, and they're on the and they're on the outs at the moment. The only time we really see Nick and Leanne together or the only times that we've seen them recently is when they're running the bistro. Po- post all of our stuff. Yeah. Is being Worried about the amount of money that the bistro isn't making. Right. And arguing about Nick's dalliances with the criminal underworld, which gets cast up a couple of times this week as well. You know, that Nick's not exactly perfect here. He's the one that brought Harvey back into their lives and and threatened Sam. Surely that was more of a threat to Sam than being driven by a drunk driver. Well, maybe not, but it certainly got cast up. Right, yeah, because Nick wants to... Nick wants... To put all of the blame for Natasha dying on Simon now. And it's like, wait a second, Nick. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on here, pal. You can't put all of that on Simon. Well, there's a dot of a start. Right. And that dot is Simon getting involved with Jacob. Right, yeah. But then there are lots of other things. A lot of mistakes were made by the adults in the room, both Leanne and Nick. That made that dot snowball. And it did snowball. It did. And most of that was not Simon's fault. In fact, Simon wanted to go to the police and Leanne told him not to. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> what does Leanne have against the police? Is it just Craig she hates? Well, you can see why. <laughs> Well, she probably had enough runs in with the police when she was a prostitute. Well, there is that. Does the show want us to remember that part of Leanne's life? It does not. It does not. The speed at which Simon has gone through these stages of having a drinking problem, it's not so much the fact that that feels rushed, although it does feel very rushed. The bit that gets me is... It jumps very quickly to the Simon reading a pamphlet and just mm-hmm. smiling, saying, look, I've got a drinking problem, guys. You can say it to me, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to do something about it. Right. But kind of shit-eating grin on his face. Well, I, the fact that he almost killed Sam, I think, you know, especially at his age, I think that was, I think it's kind of believable that that would have been a wake-up call for him. Because at this point, it really kind of feels like Sam is the only person who loves Simon. Now, knowing that Simon is on the outs, I kind of thought that this was the way that he was going to leave the show. But Right, and it may still be. Apparently not. Because, you know, he, he may be going to prison for driving drunk. He did turn well, himself in. But I don't think he's getting done for that. He's getting done for not reporting an accident because they can't prove that he was drunk. Right. Just because he admits it. It's true. So. I still don't understand why. And and this happens in another storyline. I'm so confused by people going in, confessing to a crime, and then being let go. Because there's 
people who do that. They're not who, held who, on remand or anything? Not necessarily. Otherwise, every homeless person would probably say that they committed a crime just to get a, a night in the cells. Yeah, they do that all the time. Yeah. Homeless so, people do that all the time mm-hmm. so that they can spend a night in the cells. Mm-hmm. So this prevents them from doing that. Right. You can't just go in and confess to the murder of Lord Lucan. Right. Yeah. Typically, but anyway, typically we're, we're a gonna, lot of police ahead of ourselves a are, are nice and let them sleep in the cells because they know that they're homeless. They're not going to send people out. But there's a little interest here from the the re-mentions of, of Harvey here that in another storyline, if plans there come to fruition. Yeah. The last thing that Sam needs is Harvey back in his life. Right. But I wonder if they will ever go back to check with Sam and Nick about Harvey and, right. and his confession right. to Sam about right. you know the, the conversations that they had where... Harvey I, don't, I don't know that he actually came out and apologised, but he more or less admitted that he, to them that he yeah. killed Natasha. Right. So we're just going to forget about that. Right, that's another thing the show wants us to forget. That, no, that's a thing that the show will forget about. It hasn't forgotten about it yet because it, we don't know. But if Harvey does get out, then at that point I think, yeah, this is something to add on to, mm-hmm. on to Wendy's list. Yeah. That's what that's called now is Wendy's list. Yes. All right, let's move on to our next storyline, which is what a scope. <laughs> On Monday, Bethany is waiting to hear from her editor about her article and manages to avoid Daniel like a bear trying to read it. She refuses because... He's terrible! Just... The, the, him! No means no, Daniel. I thought we already went through this with you. A rolled up newspaper to the nose. A Bad boy, bottle. to your bed. A spray bottle right in the face. She refuses because she's pretending to her family and Daniel that she's writing for Demeanor magazine and, and not also, and also doesn't want anybody to know what she's writing about. When she nips off for a shite of the bistro, she leaves her phone on the table and it rings. And of, of course, course it does. And of course Daniel's going to answer it. Of course he is. And he's shocked to learn that the call is from Chit Chat. So when Bethany comes back, he gets stuck in here for this. Such a dick! She calls him a creepy snob and dumps him right there and then. Good! But not before telling him that the story is about Ryan, Daisy and, and you. him. But she's changed the names. Oh, yeah, because that's enough. Because, you know, acid attacks happen so frequently. And then the person from the acid attack goes on OnlyFans and has this whole thing. Was Daisy's name changed to Primrose or something like that? It was something awful, wasn't it? I don't think we ever know, do we? She said, she did say, she read, read out the names, and I'm sure Daisy's name got changed to the name of another flower. I think it was Poppy. Right, but still... The details of the story are enough to tell you if if you're aware of what goes down in Manchester, which I I guess in this in Weatherfield, the people on the street will know who this is about. Oh, absolutely. But Daniel's fucking behavior here is is reprehensible. <laughs> So deplorable. Oh, you're gonna write about, you know, the latest fashion trends and oh my my baby was was a bat boy and all this other shit. And it's like, fuck off. She's actually getting paid to write something. What are you what doing? Are you your doing? Prick. Yep. You're teaching juvenile delinquents. Badly. About Shakespeare. 
She goes home and comes clean to Sarah, who thinks Audrey should order more coffees and suggests that she apologises to Daniel rather than dump him. She goes to do that, and the first thing he does is refuse to apologise <coughs> for answering her phone. Yeah, fuck you! <laughs> well, if you're over here to make me apologise for answering your phone... I'm not going to do it, because I'm a dick. Why is... Why doesn't she deserve an apology for that? Of course, and I, as I've mentioned, don't particularly care for Bethany, but yeah, in she, this particular she really case, deserves an apology. She deserves here. an apology. Yes, I mean she deserves to give an apology as well, but and she should remember to take her phone to the clergy when she's off for a shite. Right, but, especially around Daniel of all people. Right. She explains that she's been fired from Demeanor because she didn't check her source or something like that and wanted to cover up her shame. She's printed the article and all of a sudden he's not too interested in reading it. But he does read it. And he does his usual patronising routine where he pretends to know what he's talking about. Oh, there's a lot of typos here. That it's well written and not salacious and she captured the complexity of the situation. How? What? what a twat. How? How could she have possibly... You know, you know what? Because it probably makes him look good and Daisy and Ryan look awful. Mm. That's probably why he likes it. She thinks Bethany should tell Daisy while he watches and masturbates. <laughs> On Monday, Bethany's at Daniel's in the morning, so it seems that they made up and she agrees to tell Daisy about the article. Daniel also describes Bethany as his girlfriend and she likes Ew. the sound of that because she's also an awful person. Yes. So Bethany goes to ask Daisy for a coffee and against her better judgement, Daisy agrees. But it's not long before the two of them are yelling abuse at each other while Daniel sits quietly in the corner and masturbates. <laughs> All because Daisy looks at Bethany's phone and sees a text from Daniel wishing Bethany luck for being the bigger person. What is it with people picking up Bethany's phone willy-nilly here? Well, she just looks over at it, and apparently she doesn't have an iPhone because you can't look at somebody's messages on an iPhone anymore because it's face-protected. Oh, yeah. Although some wise words from Nosey Bernie get them back on speaking terms and they find some common ground over a foo-foo drink at the bistro and Daisy has rationalised her relationship with Ryan and just wants to be left alone about it. Weren't they just martinis? Who knows? So Bethany stops short of telling Daisy about the article. Bethany panics and tries to stop the article from being printed, but it's too late. Why wouldn't you talk to Daisy first before submitting the article? I was like, wait a second, you submitted the article and then went to talk to Daisy? You didn't think that maybe talking to Daisy and getting Daisy's feelings about it might, oh, I don't know, be more important than publishing the article? Bethany goes through her to-do list in strict chronological order. Thing to do number one, submit the article. Thing to do number nine, talk to Daisy about it. Right, yeah. And poor Ryan... Nobody thinks to call him. Somebody no. must have his number. In Glasgow. Yeah. It's not like he's a million miles away. You can call him. He's DJing. Right. With, uh, what's her name? The scouse lady who I can't understand. Right. <laughs> Crystal. Crystal. That's right. She's named after a rock, whereas Daisy's named after a flower. So that's the, that's the insight she come here for, folks. <laughs> on Daisy. On Daisy? On Daisy. On Fred, sir. I'd Rudolph. On Tuesday. I'd Vixen. On Tuesday, <laughs> Daniel goes to see Bethany and he's shouty and furious 
when she tells them that Chit Chat have refused to spike the article. Right. And they've also given it a very salacious headline. Yeah. About Daisy being a cow. And they've changed the names back just to be bastards about it. <laughs> he thinks she should have the courage to warn Daisy and Ryan, but she thinks it's better to just ride this out and hope that no one reads the piece. Yeah, right. Later, Bethany goes to the pub looking for Daniel, which allows Daisy to thank her for yesterday and for clearing the air now that they're best buds. Bethany pulls a Bethany face and smiles, and that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. (sighs) Is Daniel really worth two women fighting over him? No! No! Of course he isn't. What is going on here? He's so terrible! I wanted to just throttle him the whole way through this week. And every time he crops up this week, he's sitting in Nina's rolls reading a book. Right. Pretending to be busy. Just right. sitting in a cafe reading a book. And then he puts it down and he does that stretch thing that he does where he's like this. <laughs> yes, he does. And then he puts on the concerned face. Takes a sip of his empty cup. And acts like he really cares until he's asked to do something. And then he says no. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, dear. You know what? You know what? I'm happy that, thanks to Max, Daniel might be <laughs> accused of of statutory rape again. I'm happy that that might happen again. This man needs to be taken down. Maybe maybe not accused of rape, though. Well, if 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 Lauren was still 17... A case could be made. She's 18 now, but if he's accused of having relations with her when she was 17, that may that may work. No, that's 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 legal. Is it because she couldn't have the OnlyFans when she was 17? Mm. It wasn't legal until 18. Yeah, but that's not just having a, having sex with people. Well, no, it's having. You can sex. do that when you're 16 in the UK. That's having sex with a camera. So that's illegal, but having sex well, with an I adult... Well, I don't know if it's illegal, but it's against Ovid's policies. Hmm. Can we just call it OnlyFans? Yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. And they don't give a shit about anything. No. Well, I think maybe they do now. They maybe do, they're forced to do because, now. Because... They're going to get yeah. shut down. Right, yeah. Because very disgusting because things Because of all the happening. revenge porn and stuff. Right, yeah. And underage people taking their clothes off. Oh, the world is so nice, isn't it? Anyway, anyway, Daniel, hate him. And it's like a different book each time. And each time I can't see the title. And I really want to see the title. I just wasn't sure about Daisy ever agreeing to sit down with Beth and have a drink. I, th- I, I can imagine Daisy being off the mind. You and I are never going to get on. And I'm fine with that. I, I think she's doing it for Bertie's sake. What's Bertie got to do with any of this? Well, because she still has a relationship with the child. Oh, the, she, she's she's the only mother she he's like ever seen. Two scenes with him. That's that's not necessarily true. That's pretty close to the truth. You know that because that's what that's what gets her to finally agree to the coffee is Bethany says, you know, we're both going to be part of Bertie's life, so we have to get along. Mm. And I don't even know if that's necessarily true. Bethany is many things. I don't really think she's stepmom material. <laughs> no. And I think when Bertie saw her for the first time, he kind of ran away, didn't he? <laughs> the size of that jewellery. 
All right, let's move on to our next story. Just the one day for Damon on the move on Sunday. Adam's on the phone to John. John! 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 But it's his granddaughter's birthday, so he wants to delay going to the police station. But Adam's just finished chatting to Sarah, so has learned of Sarah and Damon looking to sell up and move on. So Adam is in no mood for John's pish. Which is ridiculous, because that's exactly what he wants to do too. Yeah. Only he doesn't want Sarah to move on with Damon and be happy. Later he sees Dee and Damon have words. It's about the insurance, but he doesn't know that. And he demands to know what's going on, but not Fuck now. Fuck you, it's not your issue, sir. Not now, as he has to go and watch a bloke called John make, John! A, make a false confession for the murder of Natasha Blakeman, which he does do. Adam schools him right outside the cop shop. Right, yeah. <laughs> now remember... And then later on... Stick to the story, he says loudly, outside the police station. And then later on, when John comes out, he gives him money right in front of the police station. Right outside. Such a smart lawyer. Back at the office, he quizzes Didi about Damon and thanks to Cross Wires, she admits that she... uh, She admits that Damon tried to pokle Ed's insurance claim and she knew about Ed's insider trading that Damon has hinted that he knows about. Adam doesn't give a fuck about any of this, but is glad to know and can't wait to tell Damon that he knows this. He warns Damon not to hurt Dee Dee or he'll blab all of this to Sarah. Meanwhile, she tells Ed that she told Adam because Damon claims to know. Ed has no idea how Damon could possibly know. Then Adam is on the Harvey's bum phone to update him and to remind him about the Damon situation. And Harvey seems keen to get moving on that as well. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Right, because Harvey think, then hangs up. I don't think Harvey cares one jot about following through on this deal that he has with Adam. I think Harvey wants to get out, and then that's it. I don't know. He doesn't like Damon either. <sighs> he didn't like Damon... He cubed his car. Three weeks ago. He cubed his car, so... Killing him would not be necessarily a threat. Kill him. Kill him. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's definitely going to come back and bite Adam on the arse. So that's, well, of course. Let, let's be sure of that. No matter what way it goes, this is all coming back to And then to, Craig will go all over Adam. and arrest Adam. Not for the first time. Nope, not for the last. So I've put together a little superb cut of all the people that PC Tinker has arrested from the street. Yes. Which includes Daniel, Adam, Adam, David, Max. He's arrested David and Max. Yeah, and and Daniel and Adam. Mm-hmm. I, I said them first. Yeah. Gary, Grace. I forgot list, about Grace. The list goes on. Yes. To which Colson Smith retweeted that and said, he doesn't get many Christmas cards. <laughs> which kind of made me love Colson a little bit. Right. So yeah, so that that's that's on the Twitter if you want to check that out. Yeah. I'm not sure this John thing's going to work out. John. John was surprised to get let out. Right. Yeah. He's like, why did for the investigate this? Because right. this is a historic crime now, and it's been it's 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 over and done with. The the case has been solved as far as they're concerned. Right. Yeah. Why would they want to reopen it? Right. When they're like 100 percent sure that it's Harvey. it's Harvey anyway. Yeah. And. You know, and they also know that Harvey is a dangerous criminal who's done lots of other things. So Adam's doing all this just to get Damon out of Sarah and Harry's life. Apparently. Not that he wants to put himself back in there. No, 
No, he just doesn't want Sarah to be happy. R- right. Sarah's not it's, going to be happy with Especially Damon. not with Damon. Especially not with Damon because Damon was the person that she cheated on him with already. If Adam doesn't want Sarah to be happy, Adam just needs to wait a little while. Right, and then she won't be happy. Right. His motivation here is so... Weird. So strange, yeah. Yes. And it's also weird the whole, like, hassling Dee Dee for information and pretending to care about Dee Dee's life. Now, I guess he did have a relationship with Harry. If I'm saying that Daisy and Bertie never really had very many moments together, Adam and Harry did. <coughs> Soft play! Exactly, right? Balloon! <laughs> Bowling! You done? Uh, yes. Excellent. Adam! Okay, now I'm done. So, yeah, so the, the two of them had had the relationship that I think... I think maybe that's... Maybe it's more that than the Sarah thing. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows the motivation of Scotsman? Indeed. Let's move on. Our next storyline is wooing racist Kelly. On Sunday... After another lesson, Daniel tells racist Kelly that she's ready for her English exam, but when he gives her the registration form to apply, she balks at the cost. It's like 150 quid or something. I thought it was just 50 quid. She tell, No, it was 100 and something, I think. She tells him that she can't afford the exam, so he agrees to pay it for her, or at least loan it. Right. When he learns that she's applied later, Bobby buys her a drink. Racist Kelly appreciates the effort that Bobby's made. He's still trying. He's, yeah. He's not giving up yet. Yeah, but you know... The way that he is trying... He's not talking about wearing her down anymore. No, no, which is good. I'm glad he's not talking about wearing her down anymore. And he is being a good friend to her in the meantime. Yes. On Monday, Bobby's in the cabin and he and Rita and Mary and Beth get chatting about how he's related to Carla. And when he explains that he's Rob Donovan's son, the mood turns quite sour. Yes. At the factory, Carla catches wind of the gossip and Bobby asks for all the deets about OG Tina and why Rob killed her. So Carla gives him the details. Rob killed OG Tina in cold blood and not in self-defence, as Rob has told Bobby. Bobby needs space and finds a friendly ear in Racist Kelly and they've both been dealt a pair of pretty fucking lousy dads. Racist Kelly thinks this is why she has such an awful taste in men and Bobby thinks that her next fella will be a champ. And Racist Kelly can't help but have a little smile at this. Right, yes. And then Glenda walks in and talks about how wonderful her dad is. <laughs> her dad was. He was so delightful while he was measuring up living people for their eventual coffin. Now, this is a lovely little detail because today I had cause to watch a scene with Roy Hudd in the, the guise of Shuttleworth Sr., Archie mm-hmm. Shuttleworth. And Archie Shuttleworth is with uh, Maureen Lipman, who's in the show as... Uh, as not Evelyn. As the, the new manager of the Rovers. Right. And Archie looks at her and says, five foot seven, I'm not wrong. Uh-huh. And I looked up Maureen Lipman's height. It's five foot seven. <laughs> so on Tuesday, racist Kelly and Bobby enjoy some low-level bants in Nina's roles. He asks her out, but she's studying Lord of the Flies once she's been to the library. He calls her a SWAT and she approves. When they meet later, Racist Kelly has been unable to social copy of Lord of the Flies and she's beaten herself Or any herself, of the other books. And she's beaten herself up for her tardiness, and this gives Bobby an idea to get into her underpants. He goes off to the charity shop and gets Evelyn to dig through their stock, looking for the books that Racist Kelly needs. 
So when Bobby's able to find all the books or most of the books that Racist well, Girl is looking for... Evelyn finds the books. Yeah, she's thrilled, and the two of them go off to watch Jane Eyre back at the flat. Carla interrupts them all cuddled up on the couch. Under a blanket. Bobby says it's because it's freezing, and Carla plays along because Bobby has just turned down the central heating. Right, yeah, he's like, oh, the, the heating's on the frets. And Carla at first says, oh, no, it's just that, oh... <laughs> On Wednesday, at the factory, Carla quizzes Bobby on how it went last night. Did he get his hole? He's cagey, but admits that he likes racist Kelly. Carla warns Bobby about racist Kelly's racist baggage. Yesterday was the first Valentine's that he spent with a girl, and thanks to a sober Simon, he decides to get her some flowers. But when he hands over his paltry bunch, a massive bouquet is delivered to racist Kelly at the same time. Bobby is crestfallen, thinking that a Rex is still interested. Bobby, don't do complicated, he says. So he wishes her all the best for the future. Mrs Kelly tells him that he's got it all wrong and he has nothing to be jealous of. She tells him that she's nothing special and has made massive mistakes in her past. He tells her the present is all that counts. She gives him a kiss and thanks him. Pity shagging coming. Back home, Mrs Kelly's getting wired into her curry when there's a knock at the door and when she opens it, we don't see who's there. It's Bertie! Not sure how happy we'd be about that. Well, no, I'm just remembering that time that we saw oh, the yes. camera facing up at Daniel and Daniel saying, no, Bertie, go towards the light. Right. Go towards your granddad. In the, in the, no, go that way. Sort of thing. Go towards the light, Bertie. I feel like you're embellishing this a little bit. I wouldn't put it past that. This was COVID days when Bertie was... Very much not on the scene. Yes, miles away from from Coronation Street. And I was like, well, then surely on Friday we're going to find out who this was. Right. And we don't. No. I'm like, for fuck's sake, the one thing I want to know... Right. ...is who this... Who the hell this this dude is. ...who this mystery guy is. Right. Because there's lots of... There's lots of... There's lots of uh, people... Making assumptions and making guesses, and I'm not sure I agree. I definitely don't think it's Tommy O. No, or Damon. I don't think it's Damon either. No. I don't think it's Jacob. No. It's, it's, it, is it one of her dad's creepy friends? Well, they're all in the jail, aren't they? Well, maybe one of them isn't. On Friday, we still don't know who the mystery fella is. Instead, we learn that her gas is about to get cut off because she owes a hundred quid. 100 quid doesn't seem like very much. I think ours is three times that this month. She gets a call from the mystery fella and tells him to fuck off and suck her balls. Our house is a little bigger than than Racist Kelly's flat. Yeah, and we both earn a little bit more than her as well. Just a wee bit. Later at Neil's Rolls, Bobby asks her out and Racist Kelly agrees. She privately asks Roy for more shifts, but the rota is full. And later, at her flat, it looks like Racist Kelly's doing the not only but also fans again when Max and Sabrina show up, surprised to see her all tarted up. She says it's for a tutoring session with with Daniel. She gets a text and asks them to leave. They refuse, so she has to tell them about, about the porn thing. Max and Sabrina are shocked that this is a thing and not a new thing, but she says it's the only way that she can pay her bills. Then Bobby shows up and he doesn't... And then Bobby shows up and he doesn't notice anything about racist Kelly being tarted up. Right, well, he assumes it's for him. As Max and Sabrina finally leave. And they say to 
they make it clear that they're concerned about racist Kelly and right. he does notice that. Yes. The two of them watch Barbie, which she enjoys and she doesn't because she didn't play with Barbies when she was a kid and he That's did. That's not what the movie's about. And he did. He hopes that he's Ken enough for her and they smooch. He tries to take her cardio off and this reveals some nasty bruises on racist Kelly's shoulder. Yes. She tells him that she fell down the stairs, but not even Bobby is thick enough to believe that. These, however, I've seen pointed out, are the same injuries that Shona got from a certain Nathan. Nathan being the sleazebag that kind of sex trafficked Bethany. Right. A few years ago. Quite a few years ago. It was before we started the show. Was it? Yeah. Well, in that case, this has legs, I think. On his way home, Bobby sees Max and Sabrina and asks if anyone has actually met racist Kelly's ex and talks about the bruises. Max reveals the porn thing and isn't even sure that the ex is real and still has some concerns about Daniel's potential involvement in this. Oh, give it up, Max. That's just because you still want to sleep with Daniel. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah, Nathan seems like the best pick out of a a fairly bad bunch. Will anybody remember him, though? Yeah. Oh, he was a good body. Right, yeah, but that was a long time ago. That's like making a callback from before Rana was crushed and before Aiden died. Yeah, he went to the jail in 2017. No, I think that that has legs. Corey fans remember. Corey fans never forget, apart from us. Yeah, Uh, but the show wants us to forget so many things. So it can't be like, oh, we want you to forget these things, but not these things. Oh, no, it absolutely is that. Right. The only thing that kind of annoys me about this is it's got to be somebody we know, because if it's somebody we don't know, then who gives a fuck? If it's somebody that we know, if it's somebody like Nathan, then we realise that, woof, racist Kelly really is in a, a heap of trouble here because he's a serious bad guy. Right. But I but don't know that I like this kind of propensity by soaps to bring back characters from the past to... Do the same thing over again. Yeah, and to and to get the audience interested. Hmm. EastEnders has brought back a lot of old characters recently. Corey's done it. Yeah. Ryan's coming back. We haven't even had time to miss him. Yeah. I don't know. On the one hand, I would like it to be something that we don't know, but I, I appreciate that if it's something that we don't know, then... Then we're not going to care. Then exactly, we're not going to really care about it. There's going to be that old problem of bringing in new characters just for six months to be baddies and then they disappear. Right. So you can't have both. And this is the contradiction that is my opinion on this. Yeah. Is that I kind of want it both ways. I yeah. think I think I would quite welcome a, a Nathan return. It would make sense. It would upset Bethany, certainly, right, if he's and back she's in the show. Back. So, yeah. you know, it would kind of cross over storylines, potentially. Hmm. Would he be out of jail already, though? <sighs> you serve, what, half your time? Seven years, maybe got 10, 14 years? Yeah, could be. For a dangerous crime like this? The revolving doors of, of justice. Yeah. And especially fictitious justice. Yeah. They spin quite quickly. Mm. So, 
Bobby and Racist Kelly together, though, does seem to work. It does work. On paper, it really doesn't. Right. But watching the two of them together, it's like, yeah, I kind of believe, believe in these kids a yeah. bit. Yeah. They soften one another. Yeah, and they've kind of nice. softened... They've softened Racist Kelly quite a bit anyway. She was very angular before. She's kind of less angular now. She still wears the crop tops. Right, yeah. And the weird hair extensions. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I kind of... I kind of dig her and Bobby together. Yeah. How is she affording those hair extensions, which she can't pay for her gas? Some expensive kit as well for the not only but also fans. Right. Yeah. Hair extensions are not cheap. And then I kind of liked, I like to mention the Rob Donovan again. He's another one that's kind of been mentioned as being potentially. Right. But he's but in he's prison. for murder. So he's. Right. Yeah. I he's not think, getting out. I don't think there's any danger of him getting out. No. But it was good that uh, Carla's and Carla, Carla's really taken Bobby under her wing despite right. their kind of rocky the, start. Yeah. And, and I kind of like that. I like the little thermostat right. bit. It makes me sad for Simon. Yeah, he's never got anything like this. <laughs> I see. Not really. He's never had this kind of relationship at all. Right. I mean, it was nice when he went and apologized to Carla as well and admitted to Carla that he had a drinking problem. And it was like, oh, kind of. Maybe she cares, you know, and Bobby apologized because, you know, he was encouraging the drinking and Simon's like really nice and says, you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, the, the two of them are pals now, which is nice. best buds. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't go to Carla's when he was kicked out as opposed to sleeping rough. Yeah, go back to Carla's. Right. Why not go back to Carla's? She has a couch. He did sleep on it. Yeah. And then find, you know, her hidden stash of vodka under the couch. I do think it's funny the the way that they're getting Bobby to have conversations with everybody on the street. Seriously, <laughs> when he's sitting there with Tim and Steve. It's like, how does like, he know these how people? How does this happen? What is going on here? Why are they, why are the three of them at a table together? And talk to Rita. Oh, fair enough at the cabin. Right. But. They become first name terms. Right. And then he's pally with Evelyn and kind of flirts with her a little bit. And right. she's she's having none of that. Right. But, but I, this isn't the first time that they have been pally oh, sure. together, which is nice. You know. But it is it is funny. He's he's like the newest character and yet he seems to already know everyone. Yeah, maybe maybe they should have done this with the Baileys. Right. Just a yeah. thought. Just yeah. a thought. Maybe. <laughs> But it does, it has softened. But there's still people, I'm sure, that mm-hmm. fucking hate this character. Right. I've, I I'm, grown, I, I'm growing to love him. And the longer that goes on without him making jokes about his disability. Right, and just being obnoxious and playing a trumpet badly and all that other weird shit that he was doing, <laughs> like the first episode he was on. Oh, God, I forgot about the trumpet. Yeah, let's never go back there. No. All right, let's move on. Our next storyline is Summer Camp America. On Monday at the God Flat, Summer has recently received a letter from the University of America because education is famously cheap in the US. They've offered her a place for a semester doing whatever the fuck it is Summer does at university. Right, at Boston Common University, which is the University of the Homeless. 
in Boston. She'd already turned it down, but they've come back desperate for her attend. Right. Oh, oh, she says only five people in the world are chosen for this, and yet somehow they can't find five people, <laughs> so they keep coming back to her and begging her to to join this thing for whatever it is she does at university. A university she got in by cheating. Oh no, she got in she got in fairly. Right. She after got, she got kicked out for cheating. Right, yes. She hides the offer from Billy who wants to help to arrange a Valentine's date <laughs> with Paul. When she tells him about it, she's conflicted because she wants to be here for Paul. And surprisingly, Billy agrees and thinks that she should knock it back and says that if it was him, he would knock back this once in a lifetime opportunity. Right, to study on Boston Common, a big square patch of green grass in the middle of Boston. I don't think we're meant to have seen that. We only know that because we paused and read the letter, but yeah, it was from the Boston Common Boston College. Boston Common University. Which, Boston, which obviously isn't a thing, but Boston, Boston, Boston Common is. Yeah, Boston Common is. It's, it's a, a green patch of grass. Outside of Cheers. Yes. Upset. Summer says that she's going to ask for a deferral. So this... this educational body have made her an offer she's refused they've made it again she's going to refuse it again and ask for a deferral of something that they only offer five people in the world this is the every most year. patient university in the world to deal with some of shit right, here because it's non-existent American universities known for their <laughs> compassion and tolerance and patience they love being fucked about like this right yeah they love it they also love to give away Free education to random people in yeah. England. For everyone else, this is 30 grand a year. But for you, gratis. What is it that you study again? It doesn't matter. On Tuesday, so someone in Billy's big surprise for Paul's Valentine's Day is the fucking motorbike thing again. Right, but this time but this the guy remembers the sidecar. Yeah. Billy's back is playing up and he's encouraged against his will and doped out of his tits on painkillers to ride Pillion while Paul is in the sidecar. After the ride, Billy's fucked, but just gets further loaded on the valleys. He and Paul go to the bistro and end up running into one of Paul's horrible old schoolmates, Benno, who seems to be taking the piss out of Paul and his MND. Billy cares more about this. Gayness. Billy cares more about this than Paul does. But when Benno spoils Billy's surprise... Which is a uh, barbershop quartet? For some reason. Yeah. When I think of Paul, I think of acapella music. He loves acapella music. <laughs> he, loves do, he loves throwing shapes at the acapella tunes. Did you see what Toya was wearing? No. She was basically wearing the acapella outfit. She could have been in the band. She was not wearing a straw boater hat. She was not, but she was she was wearing a red and white blouse and a black skirt, so she fitted right in. Hmm. So yeah, anyway. and she was delighted. She's like, "Oh, this is so wonderful that you've brought this this barbershop quartet into to a restaurant to my restaurant to perform where, for one table where people are eating their dinner for their Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day." Yes, but, but also, they've accepted a stag do. Right? Yeah, that's the thing. Who goes on a stag do on Valentine's Day? You were getting married. You're getting married and your stag do is on Valentine's Day. I don't think you're getting married anymore. <laughs> yeah. And they're so, all wearing Hawaiian shirts. So Ben grabs a 
a hat off one of the um, barbershop quartet and sings along. Not badly, it has to be said. Right. But Billy takes exception to all this and decks him. Well, no, he decks him because then he grabs Paul's arms and, oh, yeah, and starts, starts waving yeah, Paul's was, arms yeah, around. That was horrible. That's horrible. That was horrible. Paul is furious and back home doesn't know why Billy couldn't just ignore Benno because he was. Dee Dee handily appears just as Billy is taken to the police station by a couple of coppers on suspicion of assault. Billy can get off if he apologised to Benno it turns out and so he agrees to do that. Back home, Billy is forced to admit that he can't cope on his own, confesses that someone has turned down the University of America thing. Right, the thing that she made him promise not to tell Paul about. And he can't face the fact that Paul could decide any day just to end his life. Tearfully, he begs Paul to stay, to, cho- to choose him choose over, life. over suicide. Choose life. On Wednesday, we don't get an answer. Next we know, Billy has apologised to Benno, and that's all over and done with now, and Paul's booked him a back appointment so his back will get better. Paul has a go at Summer for keeping the University of America thing secret, and he and Billy encourage her to reconsider the offer that she's already turned down twice already. She really can't miss this opportunity. If they accept her, I think I think badly of them. Yeah. This upsets Summer, but she agrees to reconsider. Paul will be gutted if she goes, but reckons he, Billy, and an as-yet-unseen UPA will deal with it. And to celebrate this, Paul and Billy nip off for their hole real quick. And that's as far as we get with that this week. When Summer leaves the the building. Let's hope so. Yeah, so Billy promises Summer not to say anything to Paul. And then he immediately says something to Paul about this stupid thing that doesn't exist. Yeah, Billy asked her to keep quiet and then blew it himself anyway. Yeah. Well, he was super emotional by that point. Right, and a high off his tits. High out of his tits on right. valleys. Yep. Yeah, which Summer keeps saying to him, are you sure you should be taking you those? You have a history with these things. Right, yeah. The show remembers this. Yes, but he's like, no, I'm fine. It's okay. And then he gets on the back of a motorcycle when he's already got a bad back. Did what, you at any point hell, during Billy? that bike ride think Wallace and Gromit? No, but I do now. I was thinking... Billy was pulling that Wallace face when he took his helmet off, wasn't he? That was deliberate, wasn't it? No, he makes that face all the time. Oh, wait a minute, it was Gromit that was in the... that rode the bike. Wallace was in the sidecar, wasn't he? No. No, Gromit was in the sidecar. Gromit's a dog. Yeah, but the dog does everything. Yeah, he doesn't drive a motorbike, though. He's a dog. I did think that they were driving very, very slowly and very, very carefully and not giving Paul the time of his life. Apparently he was having the time of his life. Right, I know. but He He was blown away the day before with a barbershop quartet. Driving around like a grandma. Yeah, those sidecars have always been kind of lame, haven't they? No, I like sidecars. Fancy. It does have a old guy and there's an old woman in the sidecar feel to it, I yeah. think. But I'd rather do that than ride bitch. Ride bitch? Yeah. I have no idea what that means. Yeah, where you're you're hugging you're in the bitch you're in the bitch seat in the back. Pillion. Of the motorcycle. That's that's a more polite way to say it, yes. Yeah. And being in the bitch seat. 
see, this is this is biker language, and I don't approve. <laughs> I'm allowed to say it because I'm a bit, and also my brother rides a Harley and goes to. What's that got to do with anything? Go, my goes, brother does it. That sounds very much like some of my best friends are black. And goes to that that thing out in North Dakota. What is it called again? Oh, you're such a biker person that you <laughs> that you can't remember the name of Sturgis. There's a Sturgis, Michigan. That's not that one. It's not that one. And stop trying to deflect. <laughs> this is George the Sixth, George the Third, all over again. Yeah, some are better not get to this university. But again, this isn't going to get mentioned for no reason. Yeah. That's just There's, so stupid. Yeah, if, if, if she's turned it down already, they said, well, all right, there's like thousands of other people who have applied. So we'll pick one of them to this fake university in Boston that doesn't exist. It's just such a strange thing just to come out of the blue. Right. And again, it's the whole thing about people not referring to things by names. Racist Kelly's ex. Right. Simon's mates, Summers University in America. Right, yeah. We can be more specific here, people. You it's can, okay. You can say Massachusetts. <laughs> you can say Massachusetts. Again, it's not a hard again, word to say. Nobody's supposed to have paused and read that letter. No, but still. <laughs> still, you can say Massachusetts. You could say Boston, and then people would be really impressed, especially since you're not saying the name of the university. So their mind is immediately going to go to Harvard. No, it's going to go to MIT. Summer at MIT, really? Summer at Harvard. That's more realistic than MIT. You're bum. MIT isn't a university. That's an institute of technology. That's correct. She's not getting into either one of those. Moving on. She's University of Manchester, let's face it. Moving on, our next storyline is Tommy OMFG. On Wednesday, Steve has gone all out with a Valentine's poem for Tracy that rhymes thorny with, with horny. horny. Amy somehow worries that Tracy isn't going to do anything for Steve. He's sure that she loves him really. Tommy O has finished Sally's decorating without shagging her and is finishing up the florists. He and Mary are chatting about his love life and he laments that he will never get his filthy end away with Toya. Tracy is in the background and overhears all this and Tommy accuses her of warning Toya off. Amy catches the two of them arguing and demands to know what's going on. They make out that they're having a disagreement about decorating choices until Tommy leaves in a huff. Later, Steve is keen to get Tracy home and get the knacks off her but they're interrupted when Mary arrives with news that Tommy O has just bought a single rose. No doubt for the love of his life and this puts Tracy off getting her hold with Steve. On Friday, Tommy O arrives to finish up and Tracy quizzes him about the rose. Tommy keeps shtoom and lets her mind run wild about Toya. Mary arrives with coffee and Tommy turns on the charm so you can practically hear Mary drip. Amy brings some spot cream over for Tracy, which Tommy thinks is hilarious, and they share a secret smile. She sends Mary out on an errand and wants to get her hold of for Tommy now, but he knocks it back. He doesn't want to blur any lines. Instead, he goes for lunch with Steve and Tim. But after we learn that Gav is starting a window cleaning business, so that's quite interesting, isn't it, Helen? Yes, because Tim used to have a window cleaning yes, service. Tracy. So, so one of the things the show wants us to completely forget about is the fact that Brian and Mary are supposed to be an item now. Were they? 
They were getting close, they like, getting close, months ago. But I don't think but anything then was sealed all of a sudden, and delivered. Right, yeah. Yeah, but by this point, it really should have. And yet, Brian seems to have disappeared off the face of the planet. Do you know I feel bad about us noticing that Aggie's not been in the show for the best part of a year, or so it feels. Mm-hmm. And we seldom have the same conversation about Brian. Yeah, but Brian's been in it more recently than Aggie has. Oh, very fleetingly, but though. But still. Yeah, because he was what just was... in with a thing. Here's another thing you add on the list of things. That sister from, uh, or cousin from... Right, the Italian. Italy. What was that all about? That she n- did eventually nothing... go home, didn't she? Yeah, but it had no consequence. No. Nothing happened out, out no. of the back of it. No. Tracy goes home and Amy, via social media, has seen that Steve and Tommy are larging up in the rover, so tells her about it, and she pretends to be fine. Later, Steve comes in drunk, and Amy gives him a hard time for spending time with a washed-up footballer instead of his wife, and that's as far as we get with that. I'm really disappointed that we didn't get to see Tommy working in Sally's house. Yeah, because there was definite sparks there. Right, and and also and it Tim would have been, been unbearable. Right, yeah, Tim would have been unbearable, which would have been fun. And we don't get to see what, what color Sally decided on and everything. Mm-hmm. Whereas we see him like painting the florist. And how are they working in the florist with everything broken down and him painting things? On Valentine's Day week. Right. This should not be happening during Valentine's. This should be something that happens next week. I guess most of the stuff that Tracy does is online these days. Well, yeah, the orders and then, you know, and then delivering them. I thought it was quite interesting that Tommy knocks Tracy back. Well, remember, he's got this big, huge ego and thinks that Tracy's obsessed with him. And he's warned her that this was going to be a one-time thing. Right. And it wasn't. It was like a two-time thing, I think. Yeah, two or three. But he's he's been able to stick to that a bit better than, than she has. Well. She's wanted a wee bit more of the Tommy O action. And he's right. like, no, no, I don't think this is a good right. idea. Yeah, because he's figured out that she said something to Toya. And so he's like, wait a second. No, you're being a little too obsessed with me. Right. When it's just the fact that Tracy's a cow and doesn't like Toya. So doesn't want anything nice for Toya. Yeah. I'm excited about Gav starting a window cleaning business. That suggests that he's going to be in the show more. Yay! And I think out of the recent additions to the show, he's and Sabrina are definitely. Yes, I was happy to see. I was happy to see both of them this week. Yep. Right, our penultimate storyline tonight is No Sex, Please, We're Dee Dee. Oh, we got a little answer to this that we've been talking about in yes. the last couple of weeks. On Friday, in the new fancy law office that's still the same old law office, Dee Dee <laughs> is worried that Joel hasn't been in touch since the love declaration, <coughs> but speak of the devil, he turns up with flowers and an apology and looks forward to spending some time together. He rustles up a romantic meal for the two of them, but they're interrupted by Alia, who didn't get the message. Alia tells Joel to treat Dee Dee like a queen and leaves. After dinner, Dee Dee and Joel are making out, and it looks like they really haven't had their hole yet, as she asks him to stay, but on the couch. He tries to feel her up a little bit, and she prickles. She wants to, but she's a no-more-sex-before-marriage girl, because she has, I think, but then found God, and now is no more sex. So, Dee Dee is more of a Christian than Billy. <laughs> and she's all in on that. She's religious, but never has any scenes with Billy. She goes off to get a blanket, but maybe he isn't so cool with this after all. Yeah. 
Dee Dee so here goes we go. To, Dee Dee goes to a much better church than Billy's. So the one the religious character in the show doesn't go to Billy's church. And she and Billy do have occasional their paths cross. Right. So it's yes. interesting that this has never come up. Right, yes. And it's also interesting that the Archdeacon had premarital sex, but but this character does not. Yeah, and is also in a same-sex relationship. Right. Well, that can't be helped, but premarital sex can be helped. Yeah, but I mean, we did know that she was religious because Paul got baptized in her church, let's remember, and not Billy's. Yeah, and she did, the week that it all came out with Ed, she did reference God a couple of times in that, that stood out. Yeah. But still. So she's religious. She's more religious than Billy. And Joel ain't getting none. No. wonder if that's why he's disappeared for a few days with this mystery woman. Hmm. He did seem a little put out towards the end of that scene. Yeah, but not like hugely, because you'd be a real dick to be put out by that, wouldn't you? Well, unless you want to get married to her. Right. And maybe he doesn't, or maybe he hasn't thought about it yet. But if he knew this, then right. why would he come back? Yeah. This, is, it, this feels like something that she has been very clear about from the very beginning. Right. It's just that she wasn't clear about it with us. Yeah. Although there were hints now that, right. now that we're talking about it. We, we're like, we, why we, are we, they we're... not having sex? Oh, it's because she loves God. Right. And is more careful about following the Bible than the Archdeacon. <laughs> Our final storyline tonight. Billy for you. On Monday at the Rose Gold Flat, Liam's suspension for slightly pushing a homosexual man's son is almost up. Gary has a house clearing to go to and Liam is keen to go with and Maria is suspicious about Liam's lack of interest in his phone all of a sudden. Later, a worried Maria still worries that Liam isn't ready to go back but Gary thinks the longer they leave it, the harder it'll be. Meanwhile, Liam's phone is now charged and he's inundated by threatening messages. Yes. On Tuesday, Liam still doesn't want to go to school but is encouraged because of his woodwork class where he can work in his puppet. Marionette. Se- separately... Gary and George have a chat in Nina's roles about the situation, about Liam as a gentle soul who fixes puppets in his spare time. George, who was already suspicious about Dylan's involvement, seems more so now, but it's the usual Muppets that Liam has to deal with at school when Mason and Dylan continue to pick on him. Dylan being a very active participant who records and laughs as Mason smashes up Liam's puppet. Marionette. When he gets home, he pretends everything is fine and hurries off to his room. Gary speaks to George again and asks him to keep an eye on Dylan as Liam has been very quiet. George goes home to see Dylan and Mason lounging in the living room playing with a broken puppet. Mason pretends to be the world's best friend, but George doesn't really buy it. He says, oh, I'd love to have done some some work work experience with you. And And George is is not buying it. Meanwhile, Maria seems to ignore how upset Liam is as he secretly watches videos of his own bullying and then washes behind his ears a wee bit. Yeah. I thought it was funny that Nina also corrected somebody about calling the puppet the puppet. Right, yes. Nina also says, correctly, marionette. Yeah. If you think that's going to make me say 
Marionette. You just did. You're wrong. Puppet, puppet, puppet. Marionette, marionette, marionette. On Wednesday, Liam's on his way to school and runs into a sanctimonious Sean and Dylan and thinks, nah, fuck it, and goes back home. Maria wants to know what's going on. Liam angrily goes to his room. Gary wants to go and kick fuck out of Dylan, but Maria manages to talk him down. And instead they go to see Crawshaw, who says if Liam is being bullied, then she's going to need some fucking proof. Right, where are the teachers? Where are the teachers? Why was there... Why... Why... Is Liam in a classroom all by himself working on his marionette? It's like it was on his lunch hour that he was just hiding in the in the class. Right. But still, there there are no teachers anywhere in this building. We only see another teacher tonight. Right, yeah. And it's like not even a teacher, it's the IT lady, like media specialist librarian person who takes care of the computers. Later, Maria is joined by George and Eileen and Nina's roles, and she explains Liam's refusal to go to school and won't grass up Dylan and Mason. Eileen suggests that she checks through Liam's socials for clues, but Liam's accounts are set to private, so Maria catfishes her own son, which is creepy as fuck. When Liam accepts the offer from fake Cleo, Maria and Gary discover loads of homophobic messages to Liam. When they approach him about this, he rejects the way that you would expect. Later, Gary has a run-in with Sean and cowardly Dylan, Dylan doesn't give a fuck, but tips off Mason that Gary's onto them. And this is why I feel that Dylan, if anything, is worse. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he's only protecting his own ass because he doesn't want to be the person who is bullied. And yet it seems like he's starting to enjoy this a little bit too much. That laughter wasn't fake. No. When they smash up the puppet. Marionette. that, That was not fake laughter. No. No, it wasn't, which is ridiculous. And then when Gary says to him, and you better stay away from Liam, Dylan's like, fuck off. Yeah. It's just so yeah, disrespectful. Yeah, he's becoming the worst. Uh, meanwhile, you, you almost forget that this storyline started with Dylan getting bullied. Yeah. Meanwhile, Maria's trying to console and upset Liam, telling him that now isn't forever. But when they go back to school to speak with Crawshaw, Liam has deleted all the incriminating messages and says it was all just bants and leaves. Gary heads round to Eileen's demanding to see Dylan's phone. Obviously, Dylan and Sean refuse, although George and Eileen don't see the harm. At home, right, d- yeah, they're like, if there's nothing on it, then just let him see it, and then we can all just relax and go home. At home, Liam just wants to forget about it. Maria doesn't know where to go from here, and in his room, Liam voggles how to kill himself. And that was kind of shocking that they showed that. Mm-hmm. I thought they just you just see him looking up how to, and right. then they cut away and you're kind of left to fill no. in the blanks yourself. But they're really stark shown and it was kind of kind of horrible. I don't know if I explained it really all that well, but Maria's had a little bit of a breakthrough with Liam here, where mm-hmm. he has admitted to certain things. Right, they've obviously seen the messages, but right. he's quick to delete them. Right, yeah, and. There's no evidence for Crawshaw, even though a lot of this stuff has happened on school grounds. And aren't there cameras in the schools as well, in uh, most bits? No, you can't rely on on a CCTV, especially where plot is involved, Helen. Hmm. On Friday, Liam is obviously in a deep depression that Maria doesn't seem uh, to want to acknowledge. He gives her his laptop to hand back into the school, because it's half term now. 
On her way, Maria sees Mason and Dylan, and she tells them that she hopes they're fucking happy as Liam is going to have to change school now. Mason tries to mock her, but she mocks Mason and his pathetic life, and that seems to really resonate with him. Uh-huh. He kind of... Right, yeah. It stings him. I'm like, yeah. fucking you go. That Maria is just so good, especially tonight, mm-hmm. because these two lads are taller than her, mm-hmm. and they're trying to intimidate her, yeah. especially Mason, and she's having none of it. Yeah, it's nice because like when she's talking to Liam... She's relating to him using the the trolling incident. And then you're like, oh, yeah, Maria's kind of gone through something very similar to this. Yep. You know, so she knows what he's going through, which is nice. Yeah. But when she gets stuck into Mason and starts taking the pressure at him and he's of all the bullies that she knows, the one thing that's true is they're all nothing and they're all... Of pathetic little yeah. miserable lives, and that seems to really sting. But Dylan, he looks like he only cares because it, because it's uncomfortable living on the same street as Maria. Right. When she goes to work, Liam brings her a coffee and tells her that he loves her and she's a good mom. Red flag, red flag, red flag. Right. Yes. And meanwhile, at David sc- plays with Amy's hair. At school, the only other teacher uh, at school shows Mrs. Crawshaw Liam's laptop. His search history is a concern. So they call Maria, but she's distracted speaking to Daniel. So misses it. So it's Gary who shows up to speak to Crawshaw. She shows him the uh, search history. Gary rushes to see Maria and urgently tells her to find Liam. He's been boggling on how to kill himself. And they find him at home, and, she, and he looks shocked as Maria throws her arms around him. He explains how depressed he's been and how he thought Maria deserved better than him because so many people hate him and he doesn't know why. She asks what they have in him because no one is going to take him from her. It's just an amazing couple of scenes with the two of them. Blue gets in the fields. So Liam begins to explain what his last few months have been like. Although he's carefully skipped the bit about the zombie killer knife getting drawn on him. No, he mentions that. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He mentioned them pouring rubbish on him, but then but he doesn't mention that they threatened him with I a knife. I thought for sure that he mentions that they threatened him with a knife. Nope. I thought for sure he did. Uh-uh. Hmm. He didn't say anything because he thought it would stop, but he's scared that they'll kill him. This is the fucking end, says Maria. Then Crawshaw comes over with a bullshit plan that separates Mason and Dylan and warns them, but doesn't expel them. Right, yeah. Fuck you, Crawshaw. And she apologises for not acting swiftly. Maria and Gary You're don't... still not acting swiftly. Maria and Gary don't think this is nearly enough. It's not. And in the calm afterwards, Maria is taking time off work and will homeschool Liam. She's taking this suicide threat seriously and won't be letting Liam out of her sight. And that's how we end this And they episodes. talk about... Every other night, one of them sleeps on his floor mm. in his room. That lasts for one night. Right. Because with all the best intentions in the world, you can't keep your eye on no. people 24 hours. Right, yeah. Are you going to sleep across the door frame? And I kind of think that this wasn't so much Liam really researching this, but more a kind of hoping that somebody would notice that this is what he's done. This was a kind of cry for help a little bit without trying so. for help. Well, I think maybe. I don't think hmm. he was really looking to kill himself. I think he was thinking about it. I think there was some ideation there. But I, the, I don't think he would necessarily have gone through with it, but I don't... 
I don't think he was thinking that his that people were going to be looking at the search history on that school computer. I'm surprised that he could get onto Google or Voggle, Voggle. on a school computer because the kids can't. They can't get on their Voggle? No, because it doesn't exist. So why does it surprise you then? Well, they can't get into Google. There's a lot, you know, there's there's only limited things you can do with a school computer. Maybe maybe weather feels different. Maybe. It yeah. is in a different country. And it's fictitious. Right, yeah. And has the worst principal ever. Just I used to like Crawshaw. She's assistant principal. Right, yeah. So we never actually get to see the actual principal. You'd think with a suicide ideation storyline, we'd actually see, oh, I don't know, an actual principal. I mean, I say Crawshaw was good, but was she good with the Amy Upscott and stuff? No, no remember? She wasn't, she wasn't good with that either. Right. And Max with the with the spiking of the drink. She wasn't really great in that situation either. Nah, she needs to lose her job here. I'm sorry. I had an idea remember? for being involved in the uh, tertiary character sub uh, spin-off show the fact- with D.S. Swain and bishop greg right. but that's not going to happen now. the fact that you know liam barely touched dylan one time i don't think he did touch him at all and and got you know got kicked out of school for a couple of weeks but they're not but these two kids have driven liam to suicidal ideation and they can't even kick him out for a week right they're just going to separate them? Well, they're going to have an investigation first. Right. So we'll see what the investigation kicks right. up. Yeah. Probably nothing. Yeah. Yeah, because these kids are going to be very, very quiet. Unless somebody gets a hold of Dylan's phone. There were so many great things that Liam and Maria said to each other yeah. in their conversation. When he said that they all hate him. Everybody right. hates him and he doesn't know why. It was right. just like, oh my God, just it was just such a stark thing for the wee boy to say. Right. And when she said that this ends now and now is not forever and she you know, she's doing everything that she can. And I think she does a really good job at it at, at, for no other thing just saying that she's in his corner and she's on his side and nobody's going to take him away from her it's just exactly what he needed to hear absolutely but it's still there's still that disconnect between being an adult and being a wee boy that age where where the adults don't really understand because they're not they're not living it right but the fact that maria has kind of lived it you know with the whole trolling thing i think it makes her the perfect the perfect parent to have to go through this sort of a storyline. And it makes me feel really, really, really bad for Simon in another storyline because nobody is fighting Simon's corner. Nobody has ever fought Simon's corner the way that Maria is fighting Liam's corner. Yeah. And he has twice as many adults. (laughs) Yeah, he really does. There was a little flare of a moment where Gary essentially is about to tell or has kind of already told Maria to calm down a little. Right, yeah. It's like, fuck you, Gary. And she snaps him and don't you dare tell no. me that I'm overreacting. He's like, holy fuck, I wasn't going to say that. Right, yeah. Especially Gary, of all people, the one who has more than once threatened 
Dylan with physical harm. And now this is all out. Yeah. You've got to imagine that Gary's going to follow through on that. Gary's not Gary's not going to sit and wait for people to be separated from each other. Right. Well, Gar- it Gary's- seems like Maria is doing even, you know, if she's going to be homeschooling him, she's doing even more separation. Well, Maria's going to have to keep an eye on Liam and keep an eye on Gary. Right. Because this situation doesn't go away because Liam's not in school. As they've said, a lot of this stuff happened outside of school. And as we've kind of mentioned, Dylan lives across the street. Right. So there's no getting away from him. And and I think, I think Gary, and I really hope, I, I really hope he does kick the absolute fuck out of Dylan and Mason. No. No, we don't want that. I because would, then would, Gary will go to jail and then poor, and then it'll be, oh, poor Dylan and Mason. It would be I want, so pleasing to see, though. What I want, what will be the most pleasing is when Sean finally wakes up and sees what his son has done. Oh, the humble pie that oh Sean's Oh my God, the humble eat. pie. He's like, how dare you accuse my son of all sons of being homophobic? And how dare you call my son cowardly? It's like, Sean, what? you're cowardly. <laughs> right, and, and when... And when George is... Just very reasonably saying, look, you know, and and actually starts to try to check Dylan's phone when Dylan forgets it. You know, Sean's all, how dare you? And, and does not listen to George when George is like, well, think about it. Liam, really? You think Liam of all children is a bully? Liam? Yeah, Sean is so incapable of doing the mental arithmetic here right. of thinking that Liam is capable of beating up Dylan. Right. It's He's just living in a complete cuckoo he, land. He just doesn't want to think the worst of his son. No, he doesn't. Right. And this is the way bully parents are. How dare you accuse my child of being the bad guy here? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, maybe take a look at yourself, sir. Yeah, he's really not helped Mars. Because no. there's not a bit of them that's thinking, well, maybe I, maybe we just check maybe this to should, be on the safe yeah. side. Because yeah. this isn't like a kind of, this isn't the same as Daniel answering Bethany's phone no. here when they're both two grown-ass adults. Right. This is somebody that's your dependent. Right. Your child. Yes. I totally have the right to check and see what's on this phone because I'm right. fucking paying for it probably. Yeah, exactly. Oh. But let's not forget, Sean still thinks that Liam, Liam, mm. stole Dylan's shoes. Yeah. I, I don't know if, I don't know how Dylan redeems himself after all this comes out, but he well, seems to have a lot of people around him that, because of the, the living situation in Coronation Street, you know, yeah. you're living in a house that's, that's full of people that are kind of on your side, I guess, that maybe are willing to give you the benefit of the doubt a bit yeah. or forgive you easier than others, but mm. still it's Well, and I mean this he, is, he's a ruined character now for, this for is, quite some time. And this is the thing, there's so many people living in that house, it's really not realistic that nobody found that knife or nobody found Liam's phone, or that nobody, you know, picked up on the fact that it's the broken marionette that the two of them Puppet. 
are playing with like mm-hmm. well just the leg which is even creepier and the fact that they're like huh, 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 let's like give him like one piece back every week and then when he fixes it let's break it again <laughs> oh yeah these are geniuses that we're, we're dealing with here oh my god <clears throat> anyway. well you know what the show is a the show has redeemed two racist children so I'm sure it can redeem one bullying child. Yes, anything is possible. So that was the week that was Coronation Street then, Helen, and we've managed to get through this in under two hours. Tell me, what was your moment of the week? Well, I'd like to say my moment of the week is when they moved back into the lawyer's office, something that we didn't talk about, but it's actually Maria. Maria and and Liam's conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was wonderful. It was just, it was so spot on and it was, it was so lovely and a, a worthy reminder of how great a character Maria is in moments like this. Yes. Maria is a fucking badass. She is. Let's not forget it. And Absolutely. she deals with these things. Once we go over the kind of accepting that this was happening. Right. She's been absolutely not perfect. Absolutely. That's her. Moment of the week. Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Daniel reading paperback. Oh, God, Daniel. <laughs> I mean, this... This button just has Daniel written on it now. <laughs> Daniel slash Chesney. Occasionally Ken. That yeah. is our... Boring moment of the week. Well, did that feel rushed? It kind of felt a little rushed to yeah, me. No, it was fine. But... My ears are burning. Yeah, we've been talking for two hours. Right. So what's your score out of ten? Hmm. I really hate the bullying storyline, and I kind of tune out sometimes when it's when it's happening... Mm-hmm. Because, because, but it was it was a decent week. I thought. Yeah, I thought. It was Except great. for Daniel, I enjoyed it. Daniel and the bullying stuff. Oh, the car crash was awful. Let's not forget. But that uh, feels like it was I a million kind of years feel ago. Like, yeah, I kind of feel like it wasn't even part of this week because it was Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, seven. Yeah, seven for me as well. I thought it was pretty good. And I thought tonight's was really, really good. Yeah. All right. This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, French, Helen, Pickles, DT, Trisha, Wendy, Noel, Canadian Helen, Christy, and Shandy. Thank you. If you've ever spent a semester at the University of America, write in to tell us how many times you knocked it back, first of all. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of boggle.co.uk for links to the merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank and we'll, you. And we'll be back for another shortened week next week. The Talk of the Street. The Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio.